something needs to give and the tools we're being given or the consultants we've got or the workshops that we've had or the offsites that we've done haven't led us anywhere and we're about to blow our gasket unless we really do something and this model began to really work and what we were really taking into people was a spirit of mutiny and mutiny as an alternative to the spin that we sometimes get just proved really really effective Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Fuck Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I am joined on the show by Sam Conniff and Alex Barker. Sam wrote a fantastic book called Be More Pirate a couple of years ago and was then amazed when that turned into a movement, when people wrote to him from all over the world saying, this book has changed my life, has changed my business, has changed all sorts of things. In fact, we start talking about where in the world and what type of industries and what business and and now Sam doesn't believe there's anywhere in the world or even really any any type of business that doesn't have an example where somebody's taken the book and created a pirate crew and rewritten the rules in the original book he talks he's got a, a five r's framework or five r's framework because it's a pirate book and we talk with Alex today about how she now takes that framework and runs workshops and helps people who are searching for a way to change the company culture, change the environment, have an impact in healthcare, have an impact on mental health, have an impact on democracy, and how the community has grown around the world. Fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed it. It was fantastic to have them on the show, and I'm sure you'll really enjoy it. So I'm Alex Barker, and I um, and the new, newly formed captain of Be More Pirate. It's a it was a book um, by Sam. Sam, who's joining me today, and it's now more of a global social movement and a method and a way of creating change within organisations. And I've been doing that for about two years now. And it's yeah, it's um, become this incredible kind of community of pirates, people challenging the rules, rewriting the kind of rules of their life and their and their businesses, and creating pirate codes and forming crews. And it's just been amazing to see. Hello, I'm Sam. I, I was the captain of the good ship Be More Pirate, and I am now an incredibly proud, I don't know what a captain, what's post-captain? Uh, an ex-captain? A chair? I'm the rear admiral of Be More Pirate, and I'm incredibly... You the old chair at the back of the ship in your yeah. cabin, like, <laughs> wrapped in a pool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. I'm the rum-soaked old, old fool with... Um, you know, some secret pirate wisdom at the now back of the uh, the good ship Be More Pirate, which I've been sailing proudly for the last two years, surprising myself and everybody around me uh, with this spirit of rebellion that 
has not just kind of caught so many people's imagination, but has taken hold and has changed so many people's lives and, and careers and, and, and organizations. And I now watch with wonder as this idea that began as a kind of the end of my career in social enterprise now really takes flight and I get to see Alex take charge and I get to see the community that's 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 really been at the, the heart of it and these new stories of real 21st century pirates take solid form uh, in the book How to Be More Pirate, which is out soon at all good bookshops and online retailers. So how did how did the book turn into a movement? I mean, you didn't write the book to create a movement, I'm guessing, hence why you're surprised. I wrote the book out of frustration. I'd spent all my career has been around changing the world in in some way, shape or form. Uh, naive as that sounds and often naive it was. But after a while, we became quite good at it. I ran a, a, a social enterprise that won all sorts of awards and accolades called Liberty, and it's still doing great work, changing the lives of young people, both in the UK and across Africa. And it's kind of pinnacle. I felt this real frustration and a sense that something was missing. You know, you can win all the awards you want, go to all the ceremonies you want, you know, eat all the canopies you want and have all the congratulatory cocktails you want. And something wasn't quite right, particularly as the world was changing. 2016, 17, a Brexit vote in the UK, a Donald Trump vote in the US. And aside from the politics, you know, something's not right. We're the consciousness of humanity isn't coming together. And instead, actually, we're, we're, we're drawing lines in the middle and taking sides. And so it was a book about that, of mutiny and of rebellion. And, and really, it was drawn from the place where I felt the most inspiration, which was not the institutions that promised change, but the young individuals who I saw were really the living embodiment of change, the young startups and upstarts, really, that I got to luckily got to mentor and work with the world over. And they started it. It was my frustration, a kind of love letter to change. And it could have just been a passion project. It could have been my transitionary project as I was handing over being CEO of a business that I'd run for so long. Uh, I had no idea or expectation that it would it would catch fire in the way it did at all. And so what does it look like now, Alex? Well, what ha- I suppose what happened at the end of that part of Sam's story was that he handed me um, his inbox, which was like... Oh, <laughs> like chaos that we've never seen, but full of, you know, like a sort of treasure chest full of these hidden gems of people who'd written these really long, well thought through pleas almost of this is the message and the, and the spirit of what we need now and nothing else is speaking to us. And so I kind of dug them all out. I had this followers of about 500 different messages and kind of started combing through them and finding the ones that had probably the most substance. So people who'd gone a bit further down the line and actually started to rearrange their business or their life around the principles and be more pirate. And those are the ones that I followed through and I started to just meet people and build relationships with them and try and understand, you know, what was the substance beneath it? You know, Sam had got his 5R framework, which I was really skeptical about because that just sounded like, you know, alliteration. I've never read a business book that doesn't have an alliterated framework in the middle. I just thought it had to, I thought it was, you know, necessary. Well, the thing is, in a weird way, it kind of is because it is memorable, and and people do love the they're kind of easy to remember, and the sto- and the story holds it all together. But be you know beyond that, there was just some quite serious stuff in there. There was people who were you know one of the first ones that I came across was um, a woman who runs a human rights NGO, so not like small stuff really talking about how do you protect the rights of children around the world and gone we actually don't need to build a strategy here or another business plan all the usual crap we want a pirate code we want some serious like just principles that we can really hold ourselves accountable to and we're not quite there we've got some values and stuff but this pirate code idea is going to really nail our team you know down on this and it was so interesting the process that they went through to do it 
they kind of got together and said to each other, oh, what would happen if we could just shut down um, in the next three months? Like, where, what would we do with all this work? Is there anything that really makes us unique? And this sense of, like, impending jeopardy for the team kind of really got them to the point of, like, okay, this is what matters. And then even some of the people in the team decided that they would perhaps um, leave as a result of this conversation because it was so honest. So there was some really, really interesting stuff in there, even in the early stages. And now it looks like probably more like a fleet of ships rather than a, a crew that all comes from me and Sam as the, the centerpiece. It's more like we're seeing these captains of people who've actually gone off and kind of formed crews of their own over here. So some in health and social care, some in education, some in climate change areas, marine, marine biology, the arts. So it's been incredible. It's like they're all different pirates with different ways of interpreting the material. And what do you what do you do in the centre then? Or, or what do you do? Are you bringing them together? Are you sharing their stories? Or are you creating a community? A bit of all of that. It's quite fluid because I try to stay pirate with it and work out rather than having like a formula for like, this is what we offer you and this is what you get in exchange. I just work with them. I talk to them and say, like, what could we do together? Like what's cropping up? Like tomorrow morning I'm doing a session with a group of young adults in South Australia talking about how they can weaponize their story as part of an eight week kind of startup program that they're doing. And that's with one of the teachers who who works in a sort of like pirate school, I suppose, challenging like how we deliver so that was just something that came out from a conversation so yeah I, play, I kind of play it by ear I definitely try to host sessions that brings everybody together so they can exchange ideas and tell their stories because the stories are what gets more people going it's going oh someone else over there challenged the status quo okay maybe I could do that and this commitment to fluidity and a pirate approach so uh, if I remember rightly Nia and the Australians that, that Alex is referencing, they, they were among some of those first, the barrage of, of emails and messages that I was getting when I just was like, who are they, all these people? Is this even real? And that was partly what prompted me to try and find someone like Alex to help me kind of, and initially I probably limited it by, by talking about community management and this incredible, you know, one of these uh, fabulous letters or emails was a guy who actually gave me some money to help get this process started, a guy called Christopher Kingsman, who generously put some money down, which allowed me to, to begin the relationship with Alex. And there was a lot of people that came forward for the job. I advertised it as a right-hand pirate because I really didn't know what to call it and I really didn't want to limit it too much into the kind of the traps of community management. And still, I fell into my own trap. And Alex challenged me when we when we first met and said, if you want this to be different, if you want this to be about change, why have you put like, and, and I said, you know, let's grow the, the movement to whatever I'd said, like hundreds of thousands of people around the world. And Alex's very fair challenge was, well, what's the point? What do those numbers represent? You know, why? You know, surely if this is about anything, it's about it's about meaningful change. So what do those numbers represent? And it was great, you know, and you know that feeling when, you're saying, let's go challenge everything. And then somebody challenges you and it's completely right. And you're like, oh, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we try and stick to that. And it's so hard. It's so hard to, to now have this much responsibility and to have this many brilliant people and to watch Alex do that and, and to not fall into those kind of traps still and to allow it to be fluid and as fantastic and as kind of sometimes crazy and chaotic and, and exhausting as that can be. So it truly is this, you know, often feels quite self-organizing, international, sporadic, but spontaneous, anything can happen crew. And it's entirely true, not just to the principles of the book, but of 300-year-old pirates. And so for those people who haven't read the book, the five R's are... Oh, uh, what? The, the first, we'll take turns. The first is to rebel. 
And it's a simple but very important act because the act of rebellion, the act of challenging a rule, and, and if you want any guidance as to what rule to pick, pick that rule that's been bothering you, the stupid one, the sign that's in your town, the thing that your parents told you to do, the, the teacher, the person in your office, the thing that you do that everybody knows doesn't make sense. Take that rule and break that fucker from the heart. Stop doing it and see what happens. And probably if you've picked the right rule, nothing will be the first answer. And then secondly, you'll feel that empowerment that comes from seeing the world as it truly is, that seeing so many of the kind of rules, behaviors, norms, conventions around us are other people's bad habits, hangovers from somebody else's mistake. And what happens when you push through the paper thin walls that they represent, you feel that bit stronger and that bit more agency over your own life and world. And most importantly, you fly a flag. And what you'll suddenly discover is all the other pirates in your organization, universities, wherever it is you are, because they'll come up to you afterwards, come find you in some in some moment and say, well done. You know, that was the rule that needed challenging. That was the thing that needed saying. And it's that first act of rebellion that only proves you the strength of being a pirate, but it also brings pirates together. And does it, it sets you apart from the people who are terrified and try to stop you from breaking the rule? Sure, sure, totally. And, and and here we are at the moment, you know, in a world talking about, you know, the framing of the new normal, you know, and it's these norms that we really need to challenge, these limitations to our imagination and therefore what it is that we're going to go and do and change. But it wouldn't be okay to stop just at rule breaking because lots of people can break the rules. We've got some world leaders who are very good at breaking rules. That's not necessarily what we need on its own. We have to continue with the R's. So over to Alex for R number two. Yeah, we, then next comes rewrite rules. So you've got to put something in its place. You can't just leave a, leave a void once you've eradicated the old way. And this, I suppose, is where I started to get a little bit, you know, okay, so Sam's saying rewrite the rules, but then the whole next two, I'm going to skip Sam, whatever, the next two stages of reorganize yourself and redistribute power. I was like, well, they actually come under the banner of rewriting the rules. Like usually how people rewrite the rules incorporates those two things. It's changing how we work together structurally, in a way, such a way that changes the power dynamics among us. So I kind of lump them all into one, which is why, why with the next book I've kind of gone, okay, well, what's the reality of all of this? Like, what are really people, and actually like the whole bit, the end of the book, which is the pirate code actually comes right at the beginning because it's, you've got to establish your values and your beliefs before you start to rebel, because that's when you start to get into trouble if you don't know quite know why you're rebelling. <laughs> so yes, definitely challenge the stupid thing if you really feel certain about it. But when you're doing something a bit more, long term you know i think you've just got to really nail down what's underpinning because that is the anchor that you need that's level of self-belief and why the challenge needs to be had in the first place so sorry i've skipped you there sam you can go with with the fifth <laughs> one thanks for rewriting the, the rules of the five hours and the final one uh, was retell which was about the pirate's incredible ability at storytelling and the importance of storytelling right now. You know, uh, as history tells us, you know, that history belongs to those who win, but really it belongs to those who tell the better story. And their time, whilst we think we'd understand the pirate story, that they were these violent villains with their cannonballs and, and, and cutlasses, actually the reason that they won so consistently for such a long period, they could never have won by force and might alone. They won because they had this brand, and it was a brand. It was deliberately designed as a brand, the skull and crossbones, all the kind of the visual iconography, or let's call it what it was, a meme. The viral meme that they designed had a very clear message, and it was so effective as a story, it drove their bottom line. And the reason pirates were profitable was because they were 
master storytellers. And so in the book, we talk about weaponizing stories, taking the story that you want to tell and really telling it in a way that's going to move mountains and 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 people and create momentum. And there's lots of current and current examples that you find in that from you know, Extinction Rebellion, whether you like them or not, but their ability to maintain the front page is pretty consistently strong based on their resources all the way through to the likes of Banksy, you know, master storytellers out there who take a pirate approach to, to shifting, turning and upturning narratives. And that's an essential skill if you're going to come at the status quo with limited resources and then seek to bring people with you. There has to be a compelling story for people to get on board with. And is the, so the, the first book was your reflections on thinking about pirates and telling their story as a, as a model for change. And what's the second book? Is the second book a how-to guide now that we've got hundreds of examples of, of what people have done and, and, and put some structure around that to make it easier for people? Yeah, I think that's it. And I think it also shifts the, the focus a little bit in that, you know, Sam went pretty big and bold with the first book you know I think sometimes you do have to kind of really take the idea and the message as far as you can go in order to really inspire people to do something but this is the second book probably speaks more to the reality of what we face and when I started to get into workshops and we start to do them you know you, you always get that feedback in the room of people going yeah but it's okay for you to say like you know I've got my boss and there's all this red tape and it's really hard and it is really really hard it's really hard in a lot of organizations rebelling is hard and I think some you know Part of my scepticism was like, that is easy for some people to say and, and actually much harder when you have to get it through it in practice. So I wanted to just break it down more and give people ways to start, you know, at the beginning of it and talk to, you know, when we talk about rewriting the rules, what is the nature of the kind of actions that you need to take to begin with? Like, because when we started doing the workshops, people would, you know, start with a rule rewrite. And it would be huge. It would be this massive sort of idea. And that usually doesn't work because people are already busy have too much on their plate so the idea sort of has momentum for a couple of days and then dies and so what I wanted to do was like okay how do you really get started here what really worked for people and sometimes it's a sense of ensuring that you have that crew and that kind of group of five or six who work on it together and hold each other accountable and have that sort of collective permission because you've had that conversation going we all think that what we're being asked to do is unrealistic so together you know we don't we're not worried about each other looking incompetent or feeling kind of like the only person who's going to carry the burden of this change we're in it together and so I, I definitely also speaks to the idea of being pirate is as much about equity and collaboration as it is about um, rule breaking but yeah it's really just to get un underneath it and, and be realistic about how you do this and you summed it up pretty well the relationship between the two of them Dominic but in a way like the first book is a challenge like my frustration at the bullshit of change, disruption, innovation, all these empty words that have kind of had their bite taken away from them because of how much we've bandied them around and how much we've tolerated saying them and then all accepting that nothing really comes as a consequence of doing them. And I wanted to take a real run at that and and take the mickey in a, in a, in a loving way because there's so many things that, and so many people in that world that I look up to and admire. And I know we're all intending to try and bring things around, but it's, it's not happening. And it's certainly not happening fast enough. The rate of change is not as fast as the rate of challenge that we face. And the metaphor of pirates was something I'd always worked with, but I didn't even fully understand their true history. And, and so all of this stuff really unfolds in the first book. And, and I am by nature enthusiastic and optimistic and, and the book kind of, you know and it begins like that and i think it's i think it's in three parts and the first two parts are really good they're really funny and then the third part gets a bit lost it gets a bit repetitive in it. and because it was slightly hypothetical and 
and I didn't know where it was going to go. And I start talking about the pirate code and how you could really make this happen. And I know if I read it again, Alex is shaking her head, but it's true. If you read the end, it's not entirely clear what you should do. But by then, it's been such a kind of fun read. Like a lot of people will kind of give me, you know, fair enough. So this book, I think, really delivers. If the first is challenge, this book is truly change. This actually shows you how to take the inspiration of the first and turn it into action. This is a very good and detailed analysis, which Alex has, has led. And it's some incredible individuals. The first is full of the stories about Anne Bonnie and Blackbeard, which everybody needs to know and, and, a, and a fantastic, so good you should tattoo yourself from head to toe. But the second book features pirates that exist today, pirates that you can reach out and speak to, pirates that you can connect to via the Be More Pirate community, working with Alex, real life, actual pirates who are challenging rules, rewriting rules, collaborating in extraordinary ways, and, and are hopefully rewriting the rules of the 21st century. So, you know, we started talking about it as a field guide when we first began it, but it really is, it is that. It's in the weeds. It's how to make this extraordinary big idea actually something that you can get your hands on and bring about in your own world and start something tomorrow yes absolutely and so the examples in the book of the pirates then what have you got some you share can you share some of those yeah absolutely we, we really cross the the spectrum i suppose so i think the beginning of it starts with sort of single individuals a couple of entrepreneurs and um people who just you know talking about the how you get into the pirate mindset in the beginning like the sort of shedding of like okay the external stability around me is crumbling what do i do now where do I turn? Then we've got, there's a chapter in the middle. It's, um, can you be a pirate in the Navy? Cause I get asked that, you get asked that a lot. Like, okay. Um, and there's another book called that. So we talk about corporate culture. So if you're in, and, and the, the main example in that chapter is Mercedes, who Sam has worked with for quite a long time. And it's particularly the Mercedes Ben Vans team in the UK, who, you know, are part of this huge global corporation. And it's like, how do they create change? This small, ambitious team of brilliant people who, know that there's a better way that they can do the marketing, where, they, where do they even start? And it talks about them, them starting with their pirate code, their team kind of glue that sticks them together, and then how they use the, the work that Sam did to challenge the really the leadership and how that shifted power. And then that enabled them to go on this journey to actually really change the strategy that, strategy that they were using to actually build relationships with their customers rather than just sort of project a message of here's the brand, here's, here's what we we want you to think about us where this global luxury car manufacturer, but actually then go in and talk to like small businesses and business owners and say, what do you need from us? Like, what would make us a valuable car manufacturer for you? What do you need to try? And so that was a totally different way of doing things for them, but it had to start with them kind of getting in touch with what they really wanted and then, and then launching that, that challenge at the business. So that, yeah, I mean, there's many, there's many <laughs> examples. There's a whole chapter on, on, um, that's really focused on health and social care because that was the biggest sector that got behind Be More, has gotten behind Be More Pirate. It's almost harder to to try and find somewhere where there isn't a pirate. We've got NGOs, charities, government, public sector, finance, automotive, FMCG agencies. I mean, individuals, entrepreneurs, startups, tech. It was hard to find eventually anywhere where there wasn't uh, a group of individuals or, or organizations who were like, fucking hell something needs to give and the tools we're being given or the consultants we've got or the workshops that we've had or the off-sites that we've done haven't led us anywhere and we're about to blow our gasket unless we really do something and this model began to really work and what we were really taking into people was a spirit of mutiny and mutiny as an alternative to the spin that we sometimes get just proved really really 
effective. And that was that was the extraordinary thing. And the heart of all of these stories is an individual with that level of frustration that I've just described who, who to take what you just said, says very clearly, I want to do something different as of tomorrow. What, what's interesting is it's a code for people who are prepared to be accountable. And so many of the things that you talk about there, you know, consultants have come in and done a workshop to us. And, you know, if you, if you were to start with, we want to bring in change in an organization and you said, right, what we're going to do is go and do something to some people. You just know from the beginning that that is doomed to failure. Let's have a large corporate change program. Okay. That's going to be great. I mean, I can, I feel sad already for anyone who's about to have that inflicted upon them. And, and I've, I've stood on the edges of that and seen it so, so many bloody times. And you just picked on a really key word of accountability. So when I was doing the research into the original pirates, the accountability kept coming. It's like, this is extraordinary. This is why this group survived so long. This is why they did so well, because they were truly accountable. And there's something that happens when you everyone's scared of breaking rules and then writing their own rules. But all of a sudden, when you're invested in seeing your new rules succeed, you've become accountable to it. And the, you know, the surprise that I'm, I said that I felt was absolutely genuine. And it was then compounded when beginning to speak to, you know, brilliant senior leaders, with the frustrations that we've just outlined, talking to me as a consequence of this work saying, you know, they've seen increase in creativity because people are taking risks, responsibility, because you know this comes with values and everything that Alex was saying, it's got to start right at the core. And then accountability and senior leaders saying, I've never had so much time on my hands because the team aren't just lining up looking for permissions as to what to do next. Like when did change management ever bring that as a result? Holy grail. Sure is. <laughs> the treasure, the treasure. You think? So who's implementing this? I mean, are, have you now got, are leaders buying this book and leaving it around for their managers to pick up, hoping that they take accountability? Or is it, is it really frontline teams who are saying, we've got this group of people who are frustrated and we're just looking for some structure which helps us take the first step? I'd say it's a mixture. I'd say we've seen people just take the book, read it, give it to their entire team and be away with it and kind of come back in two years' time going, do you know what? Yeah, we've been on this whole journey. We're totally pirate and that's sort of done and dusted. We've had people sort of tentatively come and say, I like this. I think this is what we need. And But we, I need, can I have some help? And that's when we'll go in and run workshops. You know, it's something about the communication of the ideas, like just getting it from the source is is helpful. So... Yeah, it's a it's a bit of bit of both, really. There's been the one the stories that surprised me are kind of the the two ends of the scale. There's a good dozen so stories where someone has bought it and given it to their entire board. An organisation's either been at a pivotal moment or or a challenge. We've had one organisation that had literally shut its doors and it was beginning to shut itself down. And a senior board member gave the rest of the board and the chief exec a copy of the book. I've been sent pictures of a board meeting where a book's been laid out on everyone's table. I mean that's. I'm the kind of person that gets bored in board meetings where I say that with respect to any colleagues that I've sat in boardrooms with, but you know who I am. And to think <laughs> this, you know, this, this book, this manifesto, this plea, this love letter for change could like ignite a boardroom makes me so happy. But then the other end of the spectrum is when individuals have got it. And, and something that Alex has really helped me understand because I am more naturally, I've been in a very privileged position throughout my whole life. So I've, I've been, it's easier for me to think, right, fuck it, I can go and write the rules. Um, so more, perhaps more naturally disposed to being pirate. 
And so to learn and understand from the people who are slightly more reluctant, who have pirate inclinations, but maybe not necessarily feel comfortable doing it, to see change come from those individuals, to see them blossom, you know, and remain introverted pirates or careful pirates or side, you know, that really amazes me because actually in many instances, even uh, I might have taken some risks with it, it's entirely subjective. So to see individuals who wouldn't normally begin to do something different and it'd be a massive step for them and to see the ripples that come out from them and that begin to change things within a business, both ends of the spectrum I find really massively exciting. And so where do you, I mean, you've got the book, when's the book out? Is the book's out in? 24th of September. 24th of September, right? So only a couple of weeks away, available from all good bookstores. Uh, what, what happens next? Uh, where will you, three, do you say three years since you wrote the first book? Yeah, two and a bit years since the first one was out. Okay. So what's your, where are you going to be? In two years from now, you're still going to be grumpy at the back of the ship or are you, where will the movement, you got any ideas? Or are, you, are, you, are you even trying to decide where it's going or are you just hanging on in a storm? <laughs> Alex, I've got thoughts on this, but I think this should come from you first because you're, you know, you're now captain. So you're in charge of direction. Yeah. So in terms of the movement, like I'm quite clear that I want to see some of the things that have started, the challenges that have started. And it takes quite a, a long time to see. And I, I sort of said that to Sam in the middle of the summer when we were talking about Black Lives Matter and how, you know, profound this moment seemed, that it takes, you know, five years, six years sometimes to, to get something to its zenith where you feel like you've reached the moment of challenge. But this is just, you know, we're laying groundwork. And I know that the people in the movement are sort of, you know, finding their, spending this time finding their people, really understanding the challenge that they want to mount. So, there's a crew in, like I say, in health and social care who've got, a, you know, we're in this incredible moment now where health and social care is just getting the spotlight put on it and we know we need it needs change and so many people are talking about it. So that is going, I want to support that as much as I can in doing various things working with, with those guys. There's also a kind of sort of democracy proof forming in the corner and I really want to help kind of launch some challenges over there. So I think I'll probably just focus on a few key points within the in the within the movement and then obviously try and keep everything just afloat <laughs> so like that just you know just a few small things so there'll be health and then democracy and you know business really <laughs> just tackle them i reckon says alex and that's the thing the the interesting thing the scale you know i've, I've sat in a few of the mutiny mentoring sessions that alex runs like the scale of ambition so all right so two years from now so do you remember 2016 yeah, but what a fucker that was. Do you remember at the end of 2016, how many memes there were? Like me at the beginning of 2016, me at the end, me at the beginning. Of the... Right. It was a brutal year. Very, you know, difficult. And now, look, you know, kind of looking back, oh, this doesn't seem so bad, does it? 2023 will make 2020 look like light work. I'm pretty confident. And we know that this year has felt extraordinary. So imagine a year like, you know, a good 10x on this one. And are uh, uh, afraid leadership i mean look at them look at them look at them at the moment there's not a grip on things is there so the the fraying the frayed edges are going to look even more so the gaps in between more and more people are going to fall through and the frustration that we feel is going to turn to anger and the chance for real change is going to be there but real change can, will not and can never come about easily and there isn't a grown-up that's going to suddenly turn up in the middle of all of this. You know, politics isn't about to write itself and there isn't a master plan that's just waiting for sign-off. We know that. So chances are there's some pretty messy times. Change is only going to come from well-organized small groups of individuals. The role of this kind of work is going to be increasingly important. So I'm glad that Alex and so many good 
people are doing good work to prove the grounding of this. And I think that whilst the first one may have been a kind of a, a call to arms and a challenge, and this one is an outline for change, my prediction would be that Alex will be completing the, the third instalment, which is going to be very serious um, and very important groundwork for how, to use a tainted phrase, people really do take back control and how decision-making and care and local democracy and future forms of economy um, will begin to emerge. That would be my my strong prediction. One small group at a time. How else does it, how else does change ever come from anywhere? What are you going to do? Me? I'll be it. <laughs> that was your that was your that was your prediction for what yeah, Alex is going to be doing. <laughs> One of the words the phrases that came out of the the original book was something that we've called professional rule breaking, and and Alex took that phrase further when she kind of suggested that actually the, the frustrations that most of us feel at work are so great that whilst rule breaking once seemed like a risky thing to do, professional rule breaking now feels like the responsible thing to do. If you want to bring a business about to meet its climate responsibility or its social justice responsibility or how it's going to look after people, there is almost zero chance that the heavily invested leadership who've grown up a certain way are not going to be able to bring it about to bear. So the change is only going to come from what I would term professional rule breaking, I do think there's a chance that the systems that we've got can be righted. And I do think they can be part of the solution, but it's going to require executive level mutiny. And the privilege that Be More Pirate has afforded me is, has been to get into numerous boardrooms and very high level. And I'm, I'm working as a pirate coach to a, a series of ex-co's at the moment. So I see an opportunity for myself to do some pretty radical work with very senior leaders who really want to see this change. And, th and they know the kind of things that we're talking about are true. But, you know, leadership is a very tough place at the moment. You're expected to know absolutely every single detail, answer in a soundbite, and there's absolutely no room, room to hide. And the chance there is to pull some very important innovation around. So I'd like to do some quite close work in that space. And I'd like to get into some organizations where perhaps being a pirate it gets really difficult. And I've, I've kind of been using the term insultancy rather than consultancy because the last thing in the world I want to be is a, is a, is a consultant and take this idea of professional rule breaking into some really serious, quite, uh, you know, huge opportunities for change, large organizations. Oh, that sounds absolutely fantastic. I do, I do think that change within organizations, having, having a framework, teams being able to pick a framework off the shelf to, start to bring form to their frustration is so vital so vital i mean i and you you said disconnected leadership teams i was just thinking back to some of the things where i've been challenged by teams in my own organizations and often it's not that i was that i didn't care i just didn't know or it just wasn't important to me and so you know in those in those instances you know the people cared enough you know i, was, I remember at rackspace we had uh, the team came, they came to me and they said, look, our maternity pay, we've got this customer service promise about fanatical support, but our maternity pay is anything but fanatical. What are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I'm not going to do anything about it. What are you going to do about it? And they were like, oh, what's it going to do with us? I said, well, it's not my problem. No, no maternity pay is coming to me. If you feel strongly about it, you should go away and come up with a plan and come back with it. And they went, oh, is that, you're happy for us to do that? And it was just that, it was just that permission to get involved and find people who care. And if at that point I'd had a copy of your book, I would have given it to them. But, you know, they went off and came back with a plan and, and were very happy with the outcome. And so was I. Because, I, you know, I haven't got, haven't got time to do everything. That's it. And that's where I feel I can be, you know, to answer that question. I think, the, I think Be More Pirate, 
the original book is a book about innovation, really, like about thinking differently. That's where it's had a real hold. But the unexpected part of the story is about leadership. And I think that's what the second book really does a good job on. I think leadership is such an important thing for us to play because it's not fully understood in, in all of the opportunities that it can have. And, and really, it seems like the the necessary qualification for leadership at the moment is to be a charismatic narcissist. But this idea of really devolving powers of leadership, facing what we're about to face, the idea that there are one or two smart people who know what to do is the most flawed construct we've got. And so exactly that, putting it back onto people and showing them how to make decisions and, and to, to flatten the, the structures we've got is, is really the only way I think we've got a chance of scaling the, the size of the problems that we're about to face. So that fascinates me, really, and, and what I've learned in this period of time and how we can take that to a more radical and, and devolved sense of leadership really excites me. Well, and it's interesting when Alex said people often ask you, can you be pirate in the Navy? I interviewed uh, on the show a couple of weeks ago, David Marquet, who wrote Turn the Ship Around. And it was, it was fantastic listening to him. There he is, nuclear submarine captain, turns up, knows nothing about the ship. And he thinks, okay, I can't do command and control because the first thing he does is he goes out to sea and he gives an order, which they all say they're going to comply to. And then eventually they don't do anything because his order is nonsensical. It doesn't make sense on this ship to change gears. And so, so they have to come up with a whole new behavioral framework around that it's not command and control. It's, it's people using the phrase, I intend to, and if you don't challenge it, they go ahead and do it. Just absolutely fantastic. You know, a, a pirate ship in the Navy. That was that, exactly it. That He really informed a lot of my thinking because I was hearing the same thing. I was hearing it from the guys in really high-risk environments. So this is a, it's a challenge that happens all the time. People go, oh, you can't break the rules in, you know, in a, if you're in health, if you're dealing with, you know, doctors and nurses and lives and you know similarly in the military or aspects of the military but you can this is he said you know you this is exactly where you should be challenging you know planes crash because second in command doesn't challenge the pilot when he says yeah i've done all the checks it's all fine you need someone who's got that confidence in challenge uh it's really really important it's actually like i said the, the rebellion is often the responsible thing it is necessary to get better outcomes and i think he yeah he does a brilliant way of it's such a great story that he has to take to when I, when I took on this role of um, being a pirate coach to this exco that I'm working with, one of the first things I did was I bought them all a copy of that book. And they all, of course, laughed, well, the pirates bringing this Navy book. <laughs> and they, don't, they, don't, they don't talk like that. Um, but nonetheless, and, but it's, you know, one of the stories I love and it's in the book um, and it really highlights how far this goes is IOSH. IOSH is the world's biggest membership body of health and safety professionals, right? So health and safety, like, you know, the butt of workplace jokes. And they have created a program called Safety Pirates. You know, the president of the organization, Professor Andrew Sharma, has created Safety Pirates because they realized that health and safety has gone too far on the wrong direction. You know, unless we act, bring back some degree of risk and rule breaking and challenge, you know, exactly what David Marquet outlines is going to happen to all of us. We, we lose our ability for judgment, the most important skill probably we can have in such uncertain times. And then he said that, you know, the sub had the lowest uh, re-enlistment rate in the Navy. And then it went on to have the highest. And, and, and so, you know, it was the same people. And it, and it was just when people are in control of their own destiny, as opposed to just blindly following rules that they know are rubbish, they actually enjoy themselves. You know, that's that the submarine's the same, the people are the same, the context is different, and they can get so much more out of it. 
And I think what Be More Pirate goes further than his book, you know, he is he is command and control who's brought in and luckily he has this, you know, epiphany moment. Be More Pirate goes to the next level, which is to say that actually this is the responsibility of every single person on board that ship because we would argue that uh, we're all now accountable and, and the only thing that's worse than a stupid rule is the person following it. So we all now are in a position to challenge this. In that book, it's still the commander who's challenging the rule, but what about the rest of us? And it's our time and it's our turn to challenge those rules as well. So a question for both of you then, what is it that you now both know that you wish you'd known earlier in your lives, in your careers, on this journey? I have to say, Dom, I don't really believe in that statement. (laughs) (laughs) Challenge right back. You know, I just, no, I think I look back on everything and think, oh, it all happened probably as it should have done. And there was a time and place for learning these things. Perhaps that's just coming from a place of privilege. I don't know, but I don't want to know anything ahead of time. Even the pain of like feeling like in my early twenties, like oh, this is just all so rubbish, and you know, graduating to a recession and feeling like I'm never going to do anything that I want. Those stories of failure, uh, I felt then felt feel like ground such good groundwork for this. I don't know. I that's not a good answer, probably, but <laughs> it's an answer. It's fine. Hmm. I wish that I'd known earlier that nobody really knows what they're doing. (laughs) I spent all of my 20s and 30s with massive imposter syndrome. I was always a bit too young for the role that I had with the thing. I'd started my first startup when I was like in my late teens and the accolades and stuff that Liberty got meant we were like, you know, we had royal visits and ministerial visits and all this kind of stuff. And I spent far too long sucking up, thinking that these you know, men and women had a plan and they knew what they're doing. And now I'm of the age that they were, and I've got the experience, you know, fucking hell, they were all making it up. None of them had a plan. They were just bombing from one thing to the next thing, still probably trying to get home for bath time and whatever the, the real stuff is. And few and far between, and they do exist, but few and far between are the people with the, with the kind of long-term thinking that this short-term world needs. And I wish I'd been wiser to that earlier on. I wish I'd found the nerve to to challenge and see through the the bluster and the the falseness that so much leadership is. Fab. And what about some books? We've mentioned David Marquet's Turn the Ship Around. Are there any other books that have influenced either you on this mission or or earlier business career? Two books, I'd say, throughout this particular pirate journey that started to inform or informed me at key points i think well three i can name tons the leaderless revolution which is a diplomat's um kind of take on anarchy someone who um realized he'd done the wrong thing and had been in the establishment too long and had succumbed to groupthink and the consequences of that were millions of people's lives the art of gathering which is about how you gather people um is really helpful for building a community and Intelligent Disobedience, um, which is another book on rule-breaking, which I think is really, really good and talks a lot about what we've, we've mentioned today. But I would also just say that people should read literature because that was the thing that made me first care about the world. It's the emotional stuff you get from reading about characters from different places in the world that have really made me put myself in someone else's shoes for the first time. So keeping that in schools and almost having historical accounts of things, of, of big moments um, fictionalised, I think is everyone should continue reading that sort of thing and i would i would throw in um something i've read that i found really moving 
and powerful this year is a book called You're More Powerful Than You Think You Are. And it's a book about active citizenship and real change. And it's uplifting. I think the book that's stuck in my mind is a book called The End of Average. And it's kind of a book about maths and, and measurement, but it's really a book about why we tolerate a lot of stuff that we do. And hot, hot off the press is a book called Rethink Humanity. And it's such an important book that the authors have just released it as a PDF. It was due for publication next year, but it's 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 the most timely. Well, it's the second most timely book you could possibly get your hands on right now. <laughs> but it's free to download. And, you know, I, I found it yeah really, really moving and, and brilliant and actually probably the most the most inspiring vision of what the next decade could look like if we can do the kind of things that we're talking about, if leadership can be grasped by a group of people who've got all the right ideas and all the frustrations but don't think they can get their hands on the levers of power, and if we can just get them to realize how powerful they are, we can truly address the mess that we otherwise face. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed, both of you, for your time today. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having us on. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.